Good morning, everyone. What a great day. Don't you, don't you love that liquid sunshine out there? It, it feels great. I, I am so glad that you are here. It's, uh, it's good to see everybody. If you're visiting, welcome. Uh, it's good to have uh, a daughter, Lauren, and son, uh, Tony, with us. And, and if you listen really quietly, you may hear our, our grandson, Lathe, out there in the nursery. Uh, he has a good set of lungs, and he's not afraid to use them. Uh, no, he, he, so I, I'm glad they're uh, here, and I know there's others uh, that have family visiting and friends. So I'm glad that you are uh, have made your decision to be in God's house this morning. There are a couple things I want to talk about before we actually get into the Word. One is uh, this week, this week, this coming week is going to be a great time because we're going to have our, our missions conference next Sunday. It's going to be fantastic. And the week after that, uh, Nancy and I are going for a missions uh, trip. We're doing the prayer retreat in France. And one of the things that the missionaries have asked us to bring is Reese cups. I know, right? Uh, you have to have your priorities. So uh, some of the things that they don't have, and, and so I'm going to um, invite you, if you want to help us make those uh, gift bags to, to take with us, to give to them, uh, here's what I would encourage you to do. This next week, if you don't know, guys, I'm helping you out. It's Valentine's. All right, we're going to have to change this a little bit. We're going to have to change this a little bit. We need a little more response. Okay, guys, it's Valentine's this week. There you go. Yeah, and, and here's what's going to happen. On the 14th is Valentine's. On the 15th, all the Valentine's candy goes on sale. Yeah, so here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If you want to, uh, on the 15th, go to the store. Go to the CVS Pharmacy or, or Publix or wherever it may be and load up on, on some uh, Valentine's candy. And then if you want to, just bring it over to the church sometime or next Sunday, drop it off, and we will make sure most of it <laughs> will get to the missionaries. Because there is that, you know, that sampling, that taste testing that might go on. But, but if you want to help us in that way, that would be fantastic, and I know that they would really, truly appreciate it. So, so anyway, I would like to encourage you to do that if you'd like to this week. Hey, we're finishing up. We're finishing up this series on the positive side of impossibility out of Hebrews chapter 11. We have talked about how Enoch pleased God, and last week we talked about how, with faith, and, and faith can do anything. We were talking about impossible situations, and many of us stood last week and we said we have an impossible situation that we cannot achieve on our own that that and you can list all of the different things that the, the reasons why you can't achieve it because it, it's a disease that there's no cure for or there it's a problem that there's no answer for and you can list all of the things that the reason why it's impossible for you to accomplish it but on the other side of the paper the only thing we really need to put is but God because with God nothing is impossible don't you love that? Don't you love the fact that we serve a God that nothing's impossible? We serve a God that, that stopped the sun. Beat that. I mean, it, God can do anything. 
So, so I want to I want to talk to you today about this positive side of impossibility, and I want to talk to you in particular about pleasing God. Don't you love it when when your children please you? Which is all the time. Grandchildren always please you. I don't care what they're doing. You know, oh, you just took a bat to the car. Oh, that is so cute. Because <laughs> grandchildren can do that. Uh, but I'm talking about being pleasing to God. Scripture says that Enoch, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. And he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Pleased God. I, I like that, that he pleased God. Now I know the, the very next verse tells us uh, without faith, it's impossible to, to please God. For we must believe that he is and a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And we talked about that element of faith last week. But I want to I go in particular, I want to go into those things that, that please God. What made Enoch so special that he pleased God so much that he said, I'm going to do the impossible. It's appointed unto man once to die, but for you, Enoch, just come on up here. That is incredible to me. And notice that Enoch pleased God before he was taken, not after he was taken. I know he pleased him after he was taken, but before he was taken, which gives me hope because I know that in this life, there are things that you and I can do that truly please God. The adversary wants to make you believe that there's nothing you can do and that, this, that the choices you may have made uh, will keep you from ever pleasing God. And you say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because he echoes those same thoughts in my mind as he echoes in yours, that you're not good enough, that you're not sufficient enough, that the things that you may have done 20, 30 years ago will hinder you from doing anything for God to make him really like you. I, I, I don't even know why I'm on this right now, but I'm going to stay on it for a moment. You have to understand that when you hear that voice that says that, that you are a detriment to the kingdom of God, that, that you are unimportant in the kingdom of God, that you are not substantial in the kingdom of God, you have to realize that the scripture always tells us that the word of God uplifts, uplifts and encourages and edifies. And anything in your life that downgrades you or makes you feel small or insignificant is not of God. And you have to realize that it's not of God and rebuke it as something that's not of God. And you have to realize that you have to say to yourself sometimes, you know, I may not be good enough, but he is. And I may not be sufficient enough, but he is. He is the creator of all things. And he loves me and died for me and is coming back for me. Sometimes you just have to tell yourself, self, I'm not listening to that negative voice. I'm going to rise above it. Because the word of God says, I'm a child of God. I'm, I have been blessed by the creator of the heavens and the earth. So the question is, what pleases God? In, in Luke 15, 10, it says, we know that, that the angels rejoice. Jesus said the angels rejoice over one sinner that's saved. You know, there was a party when you gave your life to Christ. There was a party in heaven. Isn't that incredible? But what pleases God? 
what pleases God? Sometimes I think we have to kind of get out of our own, on our, of our own mindset and, and look at what pleases God versus what pleases us. It's the difference of driving and, and looking at the scenery versus being in an airplane. When you're 30,000 feet above, you, you, you have a different view. There's a panorama that you don't see when you're on the ground. This is made evident in the, in the passage of Scripture found in Psalm 116, 15. It says this, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. I want you to think about that for a moment. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. What would make God look at death as a precious thing, as a costly thing? I'm not, you know, I don't want you to get the picture that God is looking up there and just saying, oh, wow, that guy's getting ready to die. Woo-hoo! He's not that way. In fact, in John eleven thirty five, 35, Scripture says, and, and if you're a, you know, the reason why I know John eleven thirty five 35, because when you're memorizing Scripture, you always memorize this one, Jesus wept. But why did he weep when when he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the grave? He wept because he was caught up in the emotions of everyone else that was really hurting. And Jesus is touched with the infirmities of our heart. So when we look at that passage of scripture in in Psalm 116, 15, he's not saying that, that he rejoices over the fact that we're hurting, that we're sorrowing. In fact, Paul said it this way. He said, I don't want you to sorrow as either of others that have no hope. You're going to sorrow when death comes. But you don't have to sorrow as those that have no hope. So what Paul was trying to tell the church in Thessalonica was simply this, that that God's perspective of things are different than our perspective of things. God looks at death from a different vantage point. God knows what's on this side of eternity and what's on the other side of eternity. And when God looks at everything, what he's really saying is, you guys are going to be so blown away when you walk from this life to the next. We don't look at it that way but we don't have the view that God does. So the question still remains, what pleases God? When you you look at the scripture and you look at what Enoch, where you you say that that it's impossible to please God without faith, but you must first believe that he is and that he rewards those that diligently seek him, that desire to know him, that long to be in his presence. And the answer to that question would simply be to live a relationship-centered life with God. If you want to please God, have a desire to be in his presence. In Luke 10, we see Mary and Martha, and, and Jesus is, is ministering to a crowd, and, and Mary has taken off and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus and having a conversation and listening to the teachings of Jesus and Martha is over cleaning house and cooking dinner. And Martha comes to Jesus and says, have you seen my sister? Have you seen my lazy sister? Have you seen my good for nothing sister that's sitting here making me do all of the work? And Jesus looks at him and says this, Martha, 
you are so worried and so concerned about so many things. Your sister has chosen the one thing that's more important than anything. That's being in my presence. I think sometimes in life we can get so caught up and so frustrated or be filled with anxiety or, or, or despair over the things in this life when what we really need to do is just get in the presence of our Savior. There's something about being in the presence of Christ that transforms us. Mary understood it. Martha was so worried and encumbered by the things that needed to be done. And Jesus was saying, they're not insignificant, Mary, but the most important thing is for you to find yourself in my presence. Can I encourage you today that the most important thing that you can do, it's not, it's not paying the bills, it's not deciding what you're going to do with the rest of your life, it's not how you're going to raise your kids or where they're going to go to college or anything else. The most important decision that you can make today is to find a place where you're in, you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The most important decision you can do today is find a closet of prayer and get alone with the Creator and begin to have a conversation with Him. Not a monologue or a list of things you want Him to do, but a relationship, a dialogue where you're listening to Him and He's speaking to you. Man, when, you, when we get into that understanding, see, there's where Enoch was. He, he not only believed that God was, but he, he longed, he knew that if he sought God, that, that God was going to bless him, that God would, would bless anybody that diligently sought him. I like the word diligent. It means that you're going to keep on pursuing. See, relationship with God requires conversation with him. I woke up this morning again. Last week I woke up singing this old song. And this, this week I woke up, and I don't know if it's because I'm getting older and I can remember everything that happened way back then. But I, I, started, I was, woke up singing this song, Just a Closer Walk With Thee. You remember? Uh, you're humming it. I know you remember it. Just a Closer Walk With Thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord. Let it be. Think about that. Is that my prayer? Just a closer walk with thee? I believe it was Enoch's prayer. Lord, I just want a closer walk with you. See, knowledge of God is not relationship with God. We can know all about God. We can know all about the scripture. We can, we can quote scripture. We, and, and, and man, we need to hide the word in our heart. But the, re, the reality, the reason why we hide the word in our heart, the reason why we study the word of God is not so we can do well on Jeopardy. It's to develop our relationship with him. See, when, when Israel came out of, out of captivity, when they came out of Egypt and, and God told Moses, he said, I, I, I want to be their God and I want them to be my people. And God gave them, 
the commandments after they said, yes, I want to live in relationship with you. And the relationship is, we're your people and you're our God. And God gave them the commandments. He didn't give them the commandments in, in order to get to a relationship with him. The commandments was, was a boundary in which you could live every single day in relationship with him. The, the commandments were given so that they wouldn't outstep the relationship. They were already in a relationship with God. And the commandments were the boundaries on, man, if you stay within this, this pericope, if you stay within this boundary, you're going to have a relationship with God. They, it wasn't the, the law that it was given was never designed for a set of rules to help us get to God. It was there to help us to understand if you want to live in right relationship with God, you're going to love God and you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. The New Testament given to us was to lead us into relationship with God, not to supplant the relationship with God. The Word of God, some people look at it as a roadmap. Some people look at it as, as, a, as a list of do's and don'ts. I look at it as a, as a guide to have a relationship with God and a relationship with everybody else. Because I know one thing for sure. All of us, every single one of us, doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, how young we think we are, and the older I get, the more I think I'm younger. Doesn't matter. One of these days, we're going to go from this life to the next, and we're going to stand before God. And here's the thing. Here's the question that you have to ask yourself. Do you want to stand before a stranger, or do you want to stand before a friend? And if you want to stand before a friend, you have to understand that it begins right now, today, developing a relationship with him. Paul, being caught up to the third heavens, many believe that when he, when he had left Berea and he was, they had stoned him, and that he had died and they prayed for him and the Lord brought him back. But he said, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of body, I cannot say, but he went to the third heavens. He didn't stay in just the air. He didn't stay in just the, the universe. He went to where the angels live, and he saw things that were too glorious for him to even whisper. That same Paul said, for me, to live is Christ. Everything I'm doing in this life is Christ. What does that mean? That simply means everything I do in this life is for the relationship I have with him. Because to die is gain. Paul got it. Paul understood it. Paul, Paul had seen a glimpse of what was to come. And he said, everything in this life is about relationship with God. Because when you get there, you're in relationship with him. So I would encourage you when you read the scripture, hide it in your heart, but help you always keep it in your mind that we have the word of God to bring us into relationship with him. Not just relationship, but right relationship. Why did Christ come? 
Was it not to break that middle, that middle wall of petition of sin when, when Christ died on the cross and, and, that, and that veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom? And I'd, it's not just to let us in, but it was to let God out so he could live in our lives. As Paul said, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God, the Spirit of God lives in you? We are invited, encouraged, enticed by God himself to walk in an intimate relationship with him. Enoch understood it. And God said, man, I like you so much. Come on up here. Think about that. What pleases God? A relationship. The whole, whole reason why this whole thing that we call life is played out is for relationship. Adam and Eve had a relationship with God, and they blew it. I'm going to talk to them about it when I see them. Christ came, the second man, Adam, to give life. What does life mean? Well, John said in him, Christ, was life. And that life was the light of men. It's that spirit of Christ that lives in us, that gives us life. And it's not to remain dormant. It's not to get out of hell free card. That, that gift of life that, that Christ gave us is to usher us into a personal, intimate relationship with God. To, to divest ourselves of the things of this world and embrace the things of the kingdom of heaven. And the more we fall in love with Christ and the more we begin to walk in relationship with him amazing things happen so do you, you say well well pastor what amazing things happen I'm so glad that you asked that because I have an answer here's here's one of the things that it will happen we not only please God for the right relationship but our some of the evidence of that right relationship with God is prayer prayer let me let me go a little bit deeper here's what paul told timothy he said i urge then first of all that requests prayers intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone for everyone if he was writing that today he'd probably put in parentheses even president trump i know i'm meddling now aren't i for kings and for all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Look at the last passage. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. Do you want to please God? Begin to pray. Really pray. But notice the type of prayer that he is talking about. What really pleases God is not when we're just praying for ourselves. We can go and pray for ourselves. We can boldly come before the throne of grace and ask anything that we have need of. He's not saying don't pray for yourself. But here's something that, that just is amazing, that when you start getting into a relationship with God and, and you start connecting with Him and you start walking closer to Him, you start seeing yourself in a different perspective. And, and the image of Christ is started to form 
in you. And you begin to not only pray for the things you need, but your, but your vision enlarges and you begin to pray for the needs of others you pray for everybody those that know christ and those that don't know christ and you begin to to not only pray but you give thanksgiving you get you pray with intercession you make requests you do all of these things for others so you can live this quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and holiness something happens when we begin to walk in relationship with god our prayers shift from what we need to the needs of others man when you begin to to get into prayer and and, and start praying and something happens something happens to us you ever have some god put somebody on your heart to pray for i mean i, I was in prayer last week and i was just praying and this person just came to my mind and as soon as i started praying for them, man i just was right in the spirit it's like boom and just had this burden for them and 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 i realized wow this is what i'm going to be preaching on that that praying for others and and it's incredible it's something that releases in us and in what it really does it helps us identify with who we really are because we're not just about self we're about relating to god and relating to others Scripture says, this is how you're going to know that you're my disciples, Jesus says, by the love that you have for other people. Do you know our vertical, our horizontal relationship with others is really the plumb line, it's the measuring stick for our relationship with God. How we treat others, how we minister to others, how we bless others determines where our relationship with God really is. Enoch understood that. God, may I understand it. That, that I begin to request and pray and intercede and give thanks for those around me. Because when I do, it's evident of a relationship with him because I've moved from self to selfless. Paul said it this way of Christ. In Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. He became one of us to rub shoulders with us, to talk with us, to, to, met, to bless us, to minister to us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to be ridiculed by us, to die by our hands. That he could rise again and offer eternal life to all, all that desire a relationship with him. There's something that happens the key to that prayer is, is when we get to that place that we begin to bless others in prayer, things just begin to happen. Begin, getting beyond ourselves opens our eyes to God's perspective. And the beauty of it is it, we begin to catch a glimpse of who God really has created us to be. Isn't that ironic? 
that the more we serve others, the more we find out who we are. Second thing is that I want you to look at is simply this. It's not just prayer and praying for others, but it's living a spirit-led life. Living a life that's led by the Spirit. Look what the writer of Romans says. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Do you know what the reverse of that is? Those that are not controlled by the sinful nature do please God. Isn't that incredible? He said, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature. What is the sinful nature? In a nutshell, it's the sinful nature is that, that little boy when mom says, are you in the cookie jar? And you mumble no with three cookies in your mouth. The sinful nature is what I want to do to please me, and I don't care about you. The sinful nature is anything that opposes God. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives. He lives in you. I had a garage once. Then my daughter moved out of her house, and now I have a storage room of stuff. That's what parents do. I don't, I don't really go in the garage that often anymore because I don't want to look at her stuff. I can't find my tools. I can't find anything. I can't put a car in there. It's stuff. Sometimes I wonder how many rooms in, in my heart does the Spirit have free reign? How, how, many, how many of those places in my life that, that I have invited the Spirit to, to live, to live, to dwell in? But are there places in my life that I am not willing to let Him go in? That I lock the door and say, now this is mine. The writer of Romans is trying to help us understand that, that if we want to live in that right relationship with God, if we want to please Him, if you really want to please Him in right relationship, you're not going to have any areas of your life that you have a locked door in, that you're going to open them all up and say, the Spirit of the living God dwell in here. It's, it's getting beyond who we are. And the only way to really get there, the only way to really understand that is, is to have a kingdom mindset. It's not to focus on this life, but focus on the life to come. See, our actions, reactions, and attitudes all must be controlled by the Spirit. We must not only hear the Spirit, but obey the Spirit. Jonah heard God's voice, understood God's voice, believed God's voice and chose not to obey God's voice. Isn't that incredible? How many of us would like to hear God's voice and understand it? I mean, he had a relationship with God, but he chose not to obey, and, and Jonah just refused to obey. 
1 John 2, 4 says this, The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. 1 John 2, 3, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Do you realize that, that knowing Christ and obeying him are connected? You can't have one without the other. And can I, can I add a, a, another chain to that link? That if we know Christ and we obey him, then we discover who we are. But you can't discover who you are until you know Christ and then obey him. Because, and what, what does that mean to obey him? Well, there's a lot of things that we know that, that we can obey him. We don't, we don't, you know, we, we quit lying, we quit cheating, we quit stealing. We do all of those things, you know, and, and, and we get that. We understand that. But part of this obedience also is, is when we're getting ready to watch the game. Not a game, but the game. The game of all games. Man, it's going to be phenomenal. And just about the time the game comes on, the Lord speaks to your heart. and says, why don't you get up and go minister, go talk to your neighbor. And you begin to have that argument. God, I certainly will right after this game. It's obedience to the small things that God asks us to do in our lives. It's the kind word. It's, it's the gentle encouragement. It's the blessing. It's, it's being, seeing somebody in need and, and, and being able to help supply that need. It's the small things that we hear the Lord's voice speak to us and we say yes lord and we are obedient it's when we begin to do those things that's when that's when we know that the spirit is controlling our lives because when we really get down to it is there anything in this life other than christ that really matters are you going to take anything with you the only thing that matters. Lord, open our eyes to understand that what really will transform us is a relationship with you and a relationship with others and to see as many other people around us come into a loving relationship with you that they have surrendered their heart and life so they can discover who they are. That's all that really matters. So Lord, open our eyes. Because the distractions of this life just hinder. And it's the kingdom mindset that reminds us that all in this life is just temporal. It's only going to last a while. So prayer, prayer for others and being led by the Spirit. And the third thing I would say is, there are many other things, but the third I want to focus on today is living a Christ-centered life. Here's what Paul told the church in Colossae. He said, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. He is saying, bearing fruit, allowing the fruit of the Spirit in your life is living a life worthy of Christ-centered. It's what he wants and not what we want. See, a Christ-centered life bears the fruit of the Spirit. 
which is love and joy and peace and goodness and meekness and temperance and faith, all of these things that the Spirit wants to just explode in our life. When we live a Christ-centered life, we, we start manifesting love and joy and peace and goodness and meekness and temperance and faith. And all of these things, are the fruit of, of the Spirit, are designed to bless other people. It's about doing the things. It's about living a, a life that is pleasing to the Lord. James said in James 2.26, As the body is dead without the spirit, so faith is dead without works. What he was saying is, is it's the fruit of the spirit in our life that is the sign, it's the evidence of, of a spirit-led, Christ-centered life. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Finally, brothers, we instructed you on how to live in order to please God. Our life, how we live, pleases God. Can I ask you a question? I'm going to ask it anyway. Is our life pleasing to the Lord? Man, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I would, I would love to say everything in my life is pleasing to the Lord. But I don't believe in lying. Because here's, here's something that I've found about myself. I'm going to ask our praise team to come if they would. Here's something I, I, I have found out about myself and I found out about humanity that the closer I get to God, the closer I walk to Him, the closer... I get to him. The more keenly aware I am of my sinfulness. And you would think it would be the other way around, wouldn't it? But you know the thing about the carnal nature that says those that, that live and walk in the spirit please God, but those that follow after the carnal nature doesn't, don't? The times in my life that the carnal nature has been strong are the times in my life that I felt I was right when I was doing wrong. Isn't that ironic? You ever, you ever have a grudge? Or you think, well, I'm not going to forgive that person. And yet, you know what happens when you don't forgive? You can justify it and make it right. But you're following, because Jesus didn't say you can hold grudges. He said to let them go. And to pray for those that despitefully use you. So the closer you get to the Lord, the more you understand that, man, the things of this carnal nature are just wrong. And you develop this desire to be like Jesus. On earth, I long to be like him. All through life's journey, from earth to glory, all that I ask is to be like him. Enoch pleased God. He believed that he is. He believed that he would reward him when he sought him. And you seek God not through works and deeds, but through a desire to know Him.
Would you stand with me today? God is doing so many great things. I, I get choked up sometimes when I, when I hear the stories of, of people in this congregation that are just doing things that are just blowing my mind. Walking in here during the week and hearing people calling out to God, praying for you. We have people that are coming in and walking and praying during the week. and Yeah, you can pray anywhere, but there's something about this. When I see hear other people begin to pray for for those around him. It's just, oh, it gets you. God is doing so many good things. I just want to speak from my heart just for a second. Can I encourage you to not allow any Thing in your life, whether it's an action or an attitude, to hinder you from experiencing the true joy of knowing Him. I've been walking with the Lord for the better part of my life. And I feel like Paul, after walking with Him for some 40 years, he says, oh, that I might know Him. I want to know him more. I want to experience his, his glory, his blessing. I want to experience the love of God that floods my heart. And I know that the way I do that is from believing that he is and that he rewards those that diligently seek him. And diligently simply means that I am going to risk all that I can have him. He's the pearl of great price. He's the only one that's worthy of our attention, of our devotion, of our praise, of our adoration and our worship. There is nothing else that deserves our time nor our energy. The only thing that is worth anything in this life is developing our relationship with him and through him our relationship with others begin to mushroom. Don't allow the adversary to trick you to... to to tie you down in believing that, that you can't have a relationship with him. Don't believe that the adversary is whispering in your ear that says, you've done too much, you've gone too far, you've spoke too little. Can I remind you of the, the man in, in the tombs in, in the Gadarene in Mark chapter 5 that he had a legion of angels, 2,000 plus devils in him and and the scripture says that nobody could tame him, nobody could put him down. They'd put ropes and chains on him and he would break them and, and he would howl in the middle of the night. And yet the scripture says when Jesus got out of the boat, something amazing happens. He said, when the man saw Jesus, he ran to him and worshipped him. I want you to think about that for a moment. He had 2,000 plus devils in him that were throwing him around and throwing him into fire and making him cut himself with stones and rocks. But when he saw Jesus, when he understood who Jesus was, he ran, not struggled. Notice that the devils could not hold him back. 
If you make up your mind today, right now, that you're following Jesus, that you're going to pursue him, there's not a devil in hell that can stop you. There's nothing that you've done, no place you've been, nothing in your past can hinder you from following Christ. But when you get to him, if you want to be set free, you have to worship him. So if there's something in your life today that you want to walk away from, you want to get rid of, you, you want to remove it, maybe you're, you want to walk into a relationship with Christ, it's just that simple. You just say, Lord, I am coming towards you, and you run to him, and there's nothing that can stop you from getting to him. And when you get there, will you just worship him for who he is, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that has all power, the one that can deliver you from anything, the one that has conquered death and will conquer it for you, the one that will grant you eternal 